uh, here's what I, I, I want to do is I always believe that anything I preach should help your Monday. Amen? Like, I don't want to just preach to the religious Sunday. I don't want to just preach to, to make you feel like you went to church. Ooh, I got a little God and I can go home. Like, I want something that's going to help you on your Monday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, or your Friday when everybody else is on your last nerve because that's Friday, right? And so, <laughs> amen. Uh, and we get to Friday and, we, and, and I preach to, to help you change your life. So here's, here's a little theology for you about the book of Philippians. So if, if you ever look at the books, so you got those ends, right? Those shins, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, uh, Corinthians. All of those were a group of people. So the, the book of Philippians was actually a letter that was written to the church in Philippi, okay? Philippi was the very first church in Europe. So, so when you look at, at church history, this was the first church outside of uh, the Asia and Middle Eastern area that was evangelized in, uh, I believe it was uh, the second missionary trip of Paul. And so this was the first church in Europe, and here's the coolest part. So when, when people want to sit there and, and say that women were quiet in church history and all of this, uh, it was actually started by a female. Women, that should have made you a little more excited than that. Uh, just, you know, you're always looking for, like, women's rights right in the Bible, okay? <laughs> we Give it up for Lydia, okay? I mean, seriously, Lydia was amazing. She was, she was the first found Christian uh, convert in Philippi and in Europe in that, in that sense because Paul found her uh, and a group of other women, no men, praying by the river because in uh, Philippi, they didn't have a Jewish synagogue because they didn't have enough Jewish men. So in order to have a synagogue in that city, you had to have at least 10 heads of household, 10 men. And that, that then they would build, they would be able to, they would uh, be able to build a synagogue. Well, they didn't have that. And so these women were meeting down by the river and they were praying. And Paul um, goes down there and he, he meets with them and he starts telling them about Jesus. And it says that Lydia uh, came to know Jesus. And then Paul and his group went to Lydia's house and the whole house got saved and baptized. And therefore the church at Philippi started. Now, um, there was, it was like a super group that went and mission, uh, was, became missionaries in, in the Philippi city. It was Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Now, maybe if you, if you don't know church history, that's like, that's like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC going on tour together, okay? It's like the greatest boy band ever, okay? It was like the halftime show when Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Emmett, like, that's what it, listen, 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 let, let me make it more current, Okay? That's what it was like. It wasn't just Snoop Dogg's concert. It wasn't just Dre's concert. It, they, they, they traveled together. And this was what, it was Paul and Silas. We, we've heard the stories. Matter of fact, in Philippi was where Paul and Silas got imprisoned for casting out the demon from the girl. And then they went in prison and they worshiped God and, and they got out of uh, uh, the jail cell from worship. And they went back and they prayed. Acts 16, if you want to read it, Acts 16 is where they were on missions trip in uh, the, uh, the city of Philippi. And so Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke were out, and that's who started the church in the city of Philippi. The Philipp uh, Philippians was a prison epistle. So what that means is that uh, um, Paul, he, he had many stints in prison. <laughs> he was an OG, okay? And, uh, and so he would have lots of time and he would write. Now, because he was a Roman citizen, uh, sometimes his prison sentences, they weren't posh, but they weren't 
Horrible. Some were really horrible. I mean, the man was shipwrecked once. He's been beaten three times. He's been whipped with a cat of nine tails. He's like, he's had some really, he's been stoned. Not like some of you have, but the other way. Uh, <laughs> none of you here. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm telling y'all, I ain't right. Um, but, and actually, just a bunny trail off of this. If, um, if you read in, in the New Testament where it says, where Paul writes, uh, that take this thorn from my side. Um, he's actually, there's a couple of different things that they're thinking of that, that he actually was going blind. Well, the reason why he would have been going blind was uh, more than likely because when they would stone you, it wasn't, they weren't throwing little pebbles at you. They were throwing big old rocks and they would bury, listen, please don't, please don't look this up because they still do this today. I've watched videos of the, it, it, it's traumatizing. They bury you up to your head and they throw stones at you. Um, it's, it's, it's vicious and nasty. And Paul had this happen and they left him there to die and he didn't die. <laughs> um, and so they said that he would have had head trauma um, smashed on one side and that would have caused him to start to go blind. And so Paul was like, take this thorn from my side. And God was like, in your weakness, I can be strong. And, and so this, this is all what, you know, what Paul is going through. So not every prison sentence was great, but uh, he was writing this in prison. It would have been uh, likely around 62 AD, around the same time that he would have been writing to the church uh, at Ephesus or the book of Ephesians. And so that's kind of the, the theological foundation of the book of Philippians, okay? Uh, I, I do geek out on that kind of stuff. I really love church history and the theology side of it. Uh, I think it's really important to know the background and, and, and why and what, what was going on in that time. So a couple of things, um, and, and really what we're going to do, I'm not going to read the whole chapter every week. I would encourage you, either go home today, read the book of uh, the chapter one of uh, Philippians, and then sometime before next Sunday, read chapter two, because I'm just going to take a couple of snippets each week and kind of pull them out of each chapter and then, and, and then talk about it a little bit. So the first thing that I want to pull out is uh, from Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Here's, here's what 1, 9 through 11 says, is that it's talking about the productive Christian living, okay? Um, it's talking about how we live a productive Christian life. So let's, let's read what this says. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, it says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Okay, so what is he talking about there? What, what is Paul writing to the Philippians about in this segment of, of Philippians 1? And, and there's two words that kind of stick out at the very beginning, and it's knowledge and understanding. And they're two different things. So um, as I do, because I'm kind of a nerd in that sense, I go to the dictionary, and I want to make sure that I teach you right. So uh, knowledge means this. Knowledge means facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education, the theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. So if you've gone to school and you've listened, you've learned, and have knowledge, some of us slept. Let's be honest. How many have ever slept through a class? Some of you. I don't even know if there was not one one hand, ra un hand raised. 
Even the teachers, I believe, were raising their hands, okay? Uh, hopefully, they weren't uh, sleeping through their own class, okay? So I'm just, you know, uh, I remember very specifically, I didn't sleep through a lot of classes. I was a good student, okay? But I remember when I moved to Texas my senior year in high school, uh, I had to go back and I had to take uh, Texas history as a, as a senior. It's a freshman class. And it was the very first uh, class of my day. And I was born and raised in Texas, so, you know, I already knew all of this stuff. Um, and we also did some U.S. history and, and, and whatnot, because I remember one day we had to do, and I'm thinking, this is high school. This is really what we're, like, learning. And so they, he put a map of the United States in front of us that was blank and said, you have to fill in all of the states. Like, not even hard. Like, it's, this isn't the capitals, Right, you know, capitals would be a little bit harder. I could, you know, you, I get confused with New Hampshire and Vermont and all that up there because it's you know tiny little states that I'll probably never go to. But they're they're, they're the states. That's where I would get confused, like New Hampshire, Vermont, you know, those little tiny guys up there. So he puts it in front of us, and I fill out my states. I turn them in, and and, and later that I took a nap, um, and then he he pulls me aside, and I thought I was going to get in trouble, and he goes, "You're the only one." I got 100% on the states. Like, good Lord. What does that say about you, teach? Now listen. How many know all of the states that border Arkansas? I mean, this is your home state. You should know. It's pretty easy. I think there's a handful of them, right? You know, we know what's above us. We know what's below us. We know what's side to side. (laughs) Feels like a dance song. Um, Now, listen. I don't think he should have shared this with me, but he said... You're one of only a handful that knew all the states that bordered Texas. I'm thinking Texas is huge. There's not a whole lot of states that border us. We just kind of plop ourselves right in the middle of the South and we just take over. Listen, I may have slept through class, but at least I got an A on it. There were people that thought Minnesota bordered Texas. I wish I was making this up, y'all. I really wish I could. I wish this was just like a bad like teacher's joke. Like I felt ashamed. I'm like, you need to go back and you need to hound them about those states. But that was my that was my that was my sleep time because I was like, you know, I know this. Okay, so I'd get there. I'm like, it's an extra hour of sleep. Out. So, uh, but but there's knowledge. There's the facts. The collecting of information. There's a lot of people that have knowledge but don't have understanding, and understanding is this. It's having the insight or good judgment. See, a lot of people have knowledge. They, they, they know things, but they don't have the good judgment. Like, they can tell you what to do, but they won't do it. Uh, or they, they know the, the, the ins and outs of something, but they don't know how to apply it. And what Paul is writing to us is he's saying, listen, I want your love to overflow more and more and that you will keep growing, not just in knowledge, but in understanding. I believe one of the biggest hurts of the church is that Christians, uh, they get knowledge in them and all of a sudden they think that they get to beat people with it. Right? So, so Christians run around and they got their, their good old, you know, hammer, I mean, Bible, um, And they walk around and they're just ready to smack people upside the head because they're not doing right. Well, the Bible says, man, if somebody tells me that, I'm like, let's go. Tell me what the Bible says. I want you, I want to, I want to know your knowledge without your understanding. Because see, understanding says, though the Bible says to, to, to not sin, it also says that God is a forgiving and gracious God. 
And so we can't have, we can't have mercy and grace and, and, and we have this legalistic uh, idea that God is, a, is ready to just throw lightning bolts at you for every mistake that you make. And, and listen, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, Paul actually addresses this in the book of Romans, one of my favorite books. And he addresses this because people were like, well, hey, if I got Jesus, then, then I can go and do whatever I want, right? The once saved, always saved mentality. Can I say that that's theologically wrong, by the way? Um, I hate to, I do not want to get in a fight or an argument about it, but it is absolutely biblically wrong to say once saved, always saved. The Bible is very clear uh, through multiple times uh, where it says that people have fallen away and walked away from their faith. So they had faith, but then they walked away from it because they didn't apply understanding, they just had knowledge. Or they did it because their mom wanted them to go to church. Or because they, they wanted their spouse to go to church. And so, so they went for the wrong reasons and it never hit here. Look up the, uh, the, the seed story that Jesus talks about where he says the, it fell on different ground. The Bible says the seed actually hit and grew, but then it got strangled away by the enemy. That means somebody had faith and they walked away. And Paul, in Romans, he says, he, he says this, what? So you've got Jesus, so you've got grace. Can you just go and do whatever you want? He goes, no, 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 no. That grace should, should encourage you to live a certain way. But know that it's there when you make a mistake. Matter of fact, later on in this series, we're going to see the part where he says that he runs the race. He, he strives for perfection. He didn't say, I'm perfect, so follow me. He says, I'm striving for perfection. Not that I've obtained it, but that I'm reaching for the goal to try to be as great of a follower of Jesus as I can. Knowledge without understanding is a very bad, it's, it's, it is the evilest form of religion because it is why people run away from church. The Bible says. Wouldn't it be so much greater if we just said, you know, the Bible says Jesus loves you. The Bible says he wants to make you whole and healthy. The Bible says that, that he wants to have a relationship with you that draws you closer to him and will forever change your life. That is what my Bible says. Now, does my Bible say that sin is wrong? Absolutely. Does it say that if you live a sinful lifestyle that there is a place that you will go? Absolutely, and I will not shy away from that. But if that is our focus, how are we ever gonna draw up? That would be like saying, listen, I'm gonna go back to Kale. Okay, if you were here a week ago, you understand. I don't understand kale. I don't, it's like seaweed for people. Um, if, I, if I wanted to get healthy, that's not how you're going to entice me to be healthy. You're not going to say, oh, come here. You got to eat kale. I'm like, forget you. I'd rather be fat and happy. I would rather eat cake. And listen, isn't that how people, well, you're going to tell me all the bad things about Christianity. I would rather just go and sin and at least have some sort of uh, similar, semblance of, of, of fake joy. I'd rather get drunk and, 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 and at least I, I have a moment of, of happiness and goofiness. Yeah, it may come with shame. It may come with hurt. I'd rather go, go through a whole bunch of relationships because at least I'm, 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 I'm chasing this joy. And you're, all you're telling me is that Jesus is kale. I don't want kale. I don't. I want to be on the keto Jesus where I get to eat steak and bacon. Should have came with an amen. I want bacon Jesus. I don't want broccoli Jesus. Please let that not be the only thing you get out of my message today. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. We need to have understanding to go with our knowledge. 
We have to have good judgment. I was just, me and Blake were talking about balance, right? Because, you know, uh, when you get in, into working out and, and dieting, you, you go like all in, or at least that's how I'm built. Um, right now, I'm <laughs> built more donut than anything else. But, but I was like, man, because I was eating a donut, and he goes, oh, that smells so good. And I'm like, you know you can have one. No, no. Listen, even when you're working out and you're on a diet, it's okay. The, the doctors actually say, as long as you stick to 85% of it, that it's okay to have cheat days and cheat moments. It's okay. You know? And, and, and so that's the understanding. The knowledge is, I can't, I can't, I can't. The understanding says, it's okay to have ju- good judgment and have insight. And, and that's what Paul is writing in this. He's saying, I want you to grow in your love. I want you to grow in knowledge and understanding. I want you, I love this, this, this line that he says, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day Christ Jesus returns. We minor, we, we major on the minors so many times in life and especially with Jesus. And what I mean by that is this, is that, that we, could, we could argue and talk about all the things that make a good Christian a good Christian. But the only thing that changes you is Jesus Christ. You could do all the religious things, but if you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't have that ability to understand that he died on a cross for your sins and there's no amount of good acts that you can do to earn or gain anything from him, then, then you've missed it. Well, do you need to be baptized to get to heaven? No. That may come as a shock to a city where 70% of the churches are Baptist, and I'm not knocking Baptists. I love my Baptist friends. But they vary, they're very big on baptisms, right? It's like, it's their check mark. You got to be baptized. You don't have to be baptized to get to heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. If that's the case, the man on the cross didn't get to heaven, even though Jesus said he'd see him in paradise. We, might, we major on the minors. Instead of just saying, I want you to fall in love with Jesus. I want you to have a relationship with him. He's going to show you the way after that. That you may live pure and blameless lives. Grow in the hunger for information of Jesus through experience. What we do here. Life groups and studying. Reading your word while having insight with good judgment. I want to balance that with what Galatians says in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. So when, when he's saying in Philippians, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. What are those fruit? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mm. There is, listen, this, this, this last line is it's so key. There is no law against these things. So any pastor, any leader, any deacon, or, or whatever you, elder, whatever you want to call them, if they come at you with all these rules and regulations to, to, to jump through the hoop, well, the Bible says <laughs> that the fruit of the Holy Spirit as I get close to him are these things. And nowhere in there does it say that I've got to wear a button-up shirt to church. Or that I have to, which I don't even know what looking the part is. When somebody finds out, if they would let me know, because I know I have not been looking the part ever since I got saved. Like, I don't look the part of whatever they think a pastor or a Christian should look like. 
But here's what I do know. As I strive to have his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in me. And against, against those, I don't have to listen to your religious rules. Because if I'm doing those, I'm getting close to Jesus. The things that I shouldn't be doing, I'm not going to be doing. If I have self-control, guess what I'm not going to be doing? Running around sinning however I want. Does it mean that I'm perfect? No. It means I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm doing the best I can to follow Jesus and to have his knowledge and understanding. Y'all, I think if we could get that part down, follow Jesus, he's going to lead and guide you, get in his word, get in a life group, gather together with people, and grow little by little. Remember my 1% rule that I stole from Craig Rochelle? What can I, what 1% can I be better today than I was yesterday? What's 1% that I can get closer to Jesus today than I was yesterday? And if I do that, every day I'm growing. The second thought is this, is that Paul writes in Philippians 1 that we need to be unashamed for Christ in life and in death. Philippians 1, 20 through 22, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. I love that statement. Um, Romans 1, 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of salvation to those who hear it. It's tattooed on me, two different places. It's my, that's my life scripture. Okay, Romans 1.16. Philippians 1 follows it up by says, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. I don't, that's, a, that's a crazy statement to make. And he says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful works for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Anybody ever known a Christian that is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? Like they're just waiting for the trumpet to sound. They hear horns honking. They're like, Jesus is coming. You need to calm down. Like I tell people all the time, I want Jesus to return. My, me and my wife talk about it all the time. I, listen, heaven is going to be an amazing thing. I also freak out if I think about it too long. I'm not that holy, y'all. Like, I'm not one of those ones that if Jesus takes me now, I'm just like, yay. Like I'm going, eternity? That's a long time. And my brain at two in the morning, when it starts thinking about eternity, oh, it freaks out. Listen, I know, I'm not, listen, I... I'm not your average pastor. I probably shouldn't even be saying that. But it's the reality because my finite mind can't like, it can't comprehend eternity forever. Never stops. There's not an end. Freaks me out. And Paul writes, I want to honor God whether I live or whether I die. And I believe that in America, we, we have it so twisted because we have it so good that it's easy to say, oh, I want to live for Jesus here on earth. But what if it also means your life? What if you were living in a different country where just the, the fact that you would call yourself a Christian or just showing up to a gathering could get you killed? Like in, in, in China, where they, they're not even allowed to have Bibles. They literally have uh, ripped out pieces of the Bible and they memorize them. I was watching a video on on Facebook where a pastor was in there and he was teaching these church leaders in China and they went to go read a chapter in the Bible and the lady doesn't have a Bible in front of her. And as he's saying it, she is saying it as well. She had memorized the whole chapter and he was impressed with her. And he goes, how did you do that? And he goes, I had to. 
He goes, she goes, I've been in prison multiple times for being a, a Christian, and so I had plenty of time to memorize Scripture. We have no clue what it's like to be in prison just for loving Jesus. Paul, he was in prison for loving Jesus, for doing ministry, for casting out demons. I believe that at some point, I truly believe wholeheartedly, whether it's our lifetime or not, that in America, we will have that struggle. Wholeheartedly. That someday it'll be illegal and we will have to put feet to the fire. Of what, and whether it's us or my kids or my grandkids, I know that at some point in our, our American Christian faith, this is going to be tested, whether we will honor Christ, whether I live or whether I die. But I love what he says, for living means living for Christ and dying, it means meeting Jesus. But he follows it up with a practical, very, very practical, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. That's my goal. It also says that because of what he is going through, others gained boldness to speak of the gospel. The struggles he went through encouraged other Christians to live more for Jesus. Here's a great lesson. What you go through isn't always about you. Oh, Jesus, why? I love you. Why are we going through this? Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's to build your faith, but more importantly, to show Jesus off. My pastor in California, Pastor Larry, the church that we came from, he had, uh, he had I think it was colon cancer. And uh, it, the whole time he had it, he just said, this isn't about me. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's in you. And he said, it's for other people to see that I can walk through this. And whether I live or whether I die doesn't matter, but to walk through it with the faith that God is in control. Not as robots, like we don't have emotions or feelings. It's, it's not that we, when we walk through hell and back that we don't have struggles and days where all we want to do is sit on the couch and watch TV and just sob. Don't judge me. By the way, side note, squirrels playing ping pongs. I got me some Little Debbie Cosmic uh, Brownie ice cream. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. Walmart has the oatmeal pie ones as well. Just in case you need to go after church and buy some, okay? Because I know we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. So I got me some. Um, it tastes pretty good. But some days you need that. Some days you need some cosmic brownie ice cream or some bluebell cookies and cream. And just a bad day watching some Netflix. And you have a bad day. It's okay. But more times than not, I want to honor Christ with my life, whether I'm living or whether it means my life, I'm going to work to be more fruitful for his purpose. And I want people to look at me and say, if he can do it, so can I. How you walk through your trials will encourage others and influence them. Did you know that at any moment in your life, you have at least 10 people looking at how you make decisions and how you live? It's not a made-up number. Statistically speaking, every person has 10 people in their life that, that you may not even know are looking at how you live your life and how you speak and the choices you make and, what, and how you determine that, and they are basing their influence by you. That's a sobering thought. Am I doing what's best to make an influence in people's lives? Number three. The third thing that he talks about in Philippians uh, chapter one that I love is he's living for, worthy of the gospel. It sounds so, that sounds so like, I don't know, very holy. <laughs> living, living worthy of the gospel. What does that mean to live? Listen, it's to live worthy of Jesus' name. 
Philippians 1.27, above all. When, when that's written in the Bible, it typically means like, hey, listen up. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, not America, not of earth, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Not whether you're Republican or Democrat, not, not whether it's a black or white thing, not whether it's a rural or big city thing, whether it's a heaven, Jesus thing. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together in one spirit with one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. We are not supposed to be fighting each other. Amen, pastor. I know. It's okay. You could talk back. <laughs> Some of you are going, I kind of like this fighting thing, though. It's, it's, it's been good for business. Listen. The enemy wants to tear us down and get us against each other. And there's a lot of examples that I could give you. <laughs> I was just thinking about 50 Cent, right? Some of y'all are like, where do you get these stupid examples? I know, right? Like, listen. But, okay, how many, how many saw 50 Cent and said, oh, dang, he's a whole dollar? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble with this one. Um... Listen, so I saw this, I saw, somebody posted, I did not post this, I did not go hunting for this, I just saw it, so don't, if you hate me, just, you know, keep on with your day, keep it quiet, and let's move on, but I saw this meme, or this informational picture, whatever you want to call it, uh, of how we were so quick to judge 50 Cent on his body weight, but we celebrate, and, and listen, I'm not saying where I sit on the fence. I'm just telling you what the information, we celebrate people like Megan the Stallion and we, and, and we call it bo body positivity. Now, I'm not saying that I, I, I'm, I'm on the side of you need to be healthy, <laughs> like whatever that means. Okay. So don't email me like, uh, but isn't it funny that everything we will nitpick everything. They're too skinny. They're too fat. They're too smart. They're too dumb. They're too blonde. They're too brunette. They're too short. They're too tall. We are built by this world to nitpick each other and to pick each other apart. You're too black, you're not black enough. What, what are we? I, I just, I don't get it. And the Bible says that we are to have one spirit with one purpose, fighting together. So as Christians, we have to learn to look past the things that the world is telling us, oh, you gotta hate that person because of this. I, listen, if you sin, I don't care. It's not my job to judge you. Well, ish. That's a whole nother sermon. I believe in judgment, by the way. <laughs> I do. The Bible says that we're to judge, but I'm not to judge the sinner because the sinner doesn't know Jesus. My job is as a, first of all, as a leader and a pastor is to help you. So judgment is a, a, a voluntary thing. In other words, it means that if I'm going to judge Rodney, it's because Rodney has given me permission to judge him. I want you to hear this. Judgment is a good thing. If I told Rodney, Rodney, you look good today. He smiled. He smirked. <laughs> Felt good, didn't it? Did. Why? Isn't that judgment? Didn't I not just judge what a good-looking guy looks like? It is. We love good judgment, the judgment that's going to make us feel good. Right? When, when I saw Chris and I said, have you, have you been losing weight? That, that number one, that question right there, it's like, hey, yeah. I don't even know if I have, but thanks. <laughs> Did I not just judge the saying that at some point he was fatter? 
so, so we like good judgment. But if you invite me into your life and say, hey, hold me accountable, then when I say, hey, don't do that, that's a bad decision, then you're inviting judgment. But it's godly wisdom of judgment to help and make you feel better, and to, to walk better, and to be better, and to be the person that God has called you to be. And so there is a healthy judgment. But the problem is that we are not healthy judging. We are just judging, judging. We are American Idol judging, right? We are, we are Simon Cal judging, like we just don't like you. And the Bible says that we're to have one spirit, one purpose, and fight together for a purpose of Jesus. The book of Philippians is known as the book of joy. It's mentioned 19 different times. The joy is living for God in a way that changes the world around us. Lastly, the last thing is this, is that you find in Philippians, actually you find it at the beginning, but I put it at the end. God's continual work in and through us. I talked about this last week or the week before. Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Chapter one sets a foundation for the purposes and practices of a believer. And it says that God has a purpose for each and every one of you. Look at your neighbor, say you have a purpose. You know, here's the crazy part, as silly as that is, some of you, when it was said to you, you didn't believe it. I don't have a purpose. What's my purpose? Can I tell you, as guys, we have to battle that our purpose is our job. But what happens when you get laid off? Or you retire? Or you quit? Does that mean you've lost your purpose? Your purpose isn't what you do to, to gain money. Your purpose is what you are born with to make a difference in the world around you. So maybe you are a joyful person and your purpose is to spread joy everywhere you go. And I'm not like Care Bear staring it. I'm like just being real. Like some people, like how many walk in a room and that person just changes the atmosphere of a room and you're like, man, I'm so glad that they're in this room. I, really, I do. And, 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 and some people go, and I'll tell you this, um, you want to get me really riled up? Uh, tell me that that's, you know, well, I'm just a pessimistic by person by nature. Shut up. Shut up. That's not godly. It's not holy. And I'm, but I'm telling you that right here from the pulpit. Shut up. That's the lie of the enemy. You don't have to be perky, but I'm telling you, your, your goal and your purpose was never negativity. God did not build you that way. You allowed the lie of the enemy to tell you that it's better to be negative because then you wouldn't be let down. If I push people away long enough, then I can't be let down by them. Well, just a worrier by nature. Nope. You can't convince me otherwise. Hate me, write me letters, emails, text me, phone call me, send me a, do uh, a dove with a letter saying you hate me. I don't care. Here's what I know. I know what my God says about us. And nowhere in there does he say, I've designed somebody after my nature, and part of my nature is to be a worrier. Anxious about everything overwhelmed by the thought of whether it's going to be sunny or cold or rainy or hot. Like nothing can please you. Listen here, Eeyore. It's time to see what God has written about you. 
And maybe for some of you, that is the homework for this week, is that you need to go home and you need to read what God says about you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he has called you to a mediocre, overwhelming, over-exhausted, emotionally drawn-out life. That doesn't mean that we won't have days like that, but that is not who you are. You need to let that title go, and you need to let that go in you. And it's not easy. It's easy to say it, but it's a whole lot different to let it go. It's a fight. It is a fight that you have to get in the ring and say, I am going to speak the truth over my life. And whether that's writing it on a little sticky note in your mirror, or maybe it's just writing it on your mirror (laughs) so you can't miss it. Women, get the red lipstick out and write out God's word over your mirror. Maybe good for you. Because we've allowed vanity, and, we've, and I'm not saying you're vain. I'm saying that the world has put vanity on our... Listen, guys, can, we can roll out looking like we just like barely got up. That's just a guy. Guys, you know, come on, how many can be ready in five minutes or less? Amen. That's why I shaved my head. <laughs> listen, I roll out of bed, throw some pants on, throw a shirt on, out the door I go. Brush my teeth. Brush my teeth, okay? Put on some deodorant. I'm, listen, I'm not saying I go out stinky. But isn't it amazing to me that somewhere along the line, that's okay for men, but women, whoo, y'all's process. It frustrates the dickens out of me. I love my wife. She is absolutely gorgeous. But good Lord Almighty. I, <laughs> I'm choosing my words wisely because I have to go home with her. (laughs) But it is. It's a struggle. And and listen, she likes to look nice, and and I get it. There's a process that y'all do and whatever. But can I tell you that sometimes it's the lie of the enemy to tell you that you have to look a certain way because if you go out just kind of bumming it, then everybody's going to judge you. Who cares? You have a purpose. We need to find that purpose. We, we need to go back to the fruits of the Spirit and allow those to be the guide, the, the, the point that living worthy of the gospel, that's everybody's purpose. That how you act at Walmart is more important than how you act at church. Put your toes in. Because that's where people will see the real Jesus. What will you do this week to grow in knowledge and understanding? What will you do this week to live out your faith? What will you do this week to allow God to use you? Things don't just happen on accident. I want you to hear this. We don't accidentally fall in love with Jesus. If you've got a significant other, did you accidentally fall in love with them? I don't know. They just, they were here. Kind of happened. (laughs) What's that, what's that, that, that's not a disease, where, where they kidnapped you long enough that you, you know, you fall in love with them? So yeah. Stockholm Syndrome. Listen, that's not okay. You need therapy for that. Listen, you don't accidentally fall in love with Jesus. It is a planned, prepared, purposeful thing. I didn't accidentally fall in love with my wife. I got her while she was young, and she couldn't change her mind. (laughs) Y'all think I'm joking. We were 15 years old. Said, that woman's going to be mine. 
19 years in July. Y'all are clapping for her because she's put up with me for that long, okay? I'm just young and happy and, and dumb and just like, hey, I got a beautiful wife. But it was purposeful. What about your walk with God? Is it purposeful? Is it planned out? Is it prepared? Because you won't grow if it's an accident. I put this down as the, at the very end. And it says this. You can only grow what you plant. Now, we're not green thumb people at my house. My wife will be the first one to tell you if it's green and living and alive, it's going to die. But I do know this. That if I want tomatoes, I can't plant cucumber seeds. So if I want Jesus, I can't go around planting the sin of my life and expecting Jesus to show up. You grow what you plant. And, and that's what Philippians is saying in the first chapter. Man, grow in the knowledge and the understanding of Jesus. Come to know him. If, you've, if you haven't given him a try lately, come to him. Lay your burdens down. And let's run together. Let's see if Jesus won't change each other's lives and, and we make a difference in this world. Will you pray with me? I just wonder if there's anybody here that would say, you know what? Um, I've been trying to do life on my own and, and I, need to, I, need to, I need to give God my life back. I'm making a decision today to, to hand my life into his hands and, and say, God, I want what Philippians is talking about that relationship with you. Nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. If that's you and you're saying, man, I want to give God my life and I want to do it his way from now on. Will you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. 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 You know, it's real simple. There's no magic prayer. It's just a simple prayer. Jesus, I choose you. I live for you. And I ask forgiveness of your sin of my sin. And you know, I, I pray that prayer randomly throughout my life because I know that there's areas where, man, I just, you know, God, I know that I need to hear it again. It's just, God, I, I ask for forgiveness. And I choose you. And then it's what we do after that prayer. It's the next day getting up and saying, you know what, I'm gonna spend five minutes in the Bible and five minutes in prayer. I'm going I'm to download the YouVersion Bible app and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get plugged into a devotion. I'm going to go sign up for a life group and get around good people. And so Jesus, I pray for those that raised their hand today that said, I want to walk with Jesus. God, I pray that they would do that. Give them boldness and encouragement and courage to, to wake up and say, hey, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to start my day off with prayer. And even if it's a simple two-minute prayer, God, I want you in my life. Help me to make good decisions. Help me to speak rightly, think rightly. Amen. It, that prayer is so valuable, God. God, that you would start to grow in knowledge and understanding in them. Not just to know things, but to put it into practice. Jesus, I pray for all of us that we would put into to practice your word. God, that we would just show off the God of love, the God of faithfulness, the God of joy and peace and kindness and patience and understanding and self-control. 
That's the God that I serve. That's the God that I fall in love with. That's the God that I want the rest of the world to know. And so God, help us to be unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of our relationship with you. That we wear it on our sleeve, that we wear it when we go to Walmart, when we wear it when we go to lunch, we wear it when we go to our workplaces that, yeah, you know what, I'm a little different. Yeah, you know what, I don't say certain things or I may stop and say, hey, can I pray for you? God, I pray that we would rise up and we would live with one heart and one soul and one purpose that we would run together to change the world. Jesus, I thank you for our people. God, I love our church. I love being here with them, and I love doing life with them. And so, Jesus, bless this week, but God, let us bless your name this week and let us go and make you famous. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 